Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us the grace that we might may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Genesis 2, 1 through 3, and Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I guess we left out our little liturgical moment there at the end of the scripture reading, so I'll do that for us. The word of the Lord. Amen. This fall, we've started a sermon series going through the first half of the book of Genesis with a specific question in mind. What does it mean to be human? This is a rich question, and we've been exploring what the Bible teaches about the beauty and the brokenness of humanity. Last week, we looked at the sixth day of creation, and we saw there that human beings were created for work uh, as a reflection of the image of God, who is a creative worker. Uh, This means that work uh, of all kinds is part of what God declared as good when he created the world. And we really embrace this teaching uh, here at Geneva and all its implications for the ways in which we reflect God's image in, in every vocation science and service, parenting and painting, teaching and technology. We, we say work is good, and we uh, are really excited to support uh, all of you uh, in your various vocations. And Christians believe this because we believe that human beings are created in the image of God, as I've said. But if this is true, then it also means that we were created for rest, Because, as we heard in our reading today, God rested on the seventh day. And the fourth commandment uh, makes this connection explicit when it gives a reason for why God's people were to rest on the seventh day. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. We rest because God rests. Uh, The rhythm of work and rest is woven into the creation. And we want to unpack what this means today. But I I have to admit that I'm not feeling very well rested as I bring this message to you today. I I hardly feel like I'm qualified to be speaking about Sabbath. It's just been a a busy few weeks in the Kirk household. Uh, For much of our marriage, uh, since our oldest child was born, we've been blessed uh, for Linda to only be working part-time. Uh, but she's been working on a, a degree in special education. And two weeks ago, she was hired as a full-time teacher in the Madison City School District. Uh, I'm very proud of her. 
And, but we're, <laughs> so uh, we're going through a big transition, uh, getting after school care set up, and it's, it's just been a little bit hectic. But all of this uh, leaves me uh, more convinced than ever that Sabbath rest is essential uh, to my own life, my own spiritual health and, and growth. Uh, we don't often look at it this way. We tend to put rest in the same category as recreation. It, it, it's something extra that you do only if you have time. Now, let me try and explain why we should look at it differently. The author, uh, Alan Noble, has pointed out that one of the challenges of speaking on this topic is that in the modern world, time is viewed as a neutral resource for us to do with what we want. Our choice is what determines its meaning. Noble says, when no days are holy, set apart, then each day and each moment is raw material for us to do as we will. Like so much else in the modern world, time becomes an instrument for our manipulation. In viewing time as raw material, we reject the idea that time may have meaning in itself that it may be more than a measurement of intervals, but contain truths that place obligations on us to act in certain ways. Other cultures have holy days and and special seasons that everyone must must recognize. The closest thing that we might have uh, to this is something like 9-11. You know, the date September 11th now has a special meaning that, that we all observe in some way. I want to suggest that if we're going to understand the biblical Sabbath, we have to see that uh, it wasn't just a way that people used their time in a religious way, but that they believed that it had a deeper meaning and significance. Uh, what, what is that? Well, we see it in how the Sabbath is first presented in, in Genesis 2. The Old Testament scholar John Walton has pointed out that in a traditional reading of Genesis 1 and 2, the focus is almost entirely on how God created the world. And under this interpretation, the seventh day becomes a kind of mystery. If the real point is how the world was made, then why are we told what God did after creating? It just sort of tacked on as some extra information. But in fact, Walton says that ancient readers would have understood that the seventh day is the real climax of the whole creation account. God is building a cosmic temple for himself, and after it is finished, he takes up his rest in it. He inhabits it as the center of his rule. Walton compares this to the White House. The White House, he says, is a hub of authority and control where the work of running the country takes place. When a newly elected president looks forward to taking up his residence in the White House, it is not simply so he can kick off his shoes and snooze in the Lincoln bedroom. It is so he can begin the work of running the country. Thus, in ancient terms, the president takes up his rest in the White House. And this is far from relaxation. The election is over, so now he can get to the the real important business at hand. Walton says in the Sabbath is like this, uh, this, that in the Sabbath, 
uh, it's not a withdrawal from the world and its operations. It's not like God is saying, my work is done. It's all yours now. Good luck. Instead, the Sabbath represents God's taking his place at the helm. Or in the words of Jesus, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. So before the Sabbath has anything uh, to do with, with what we do, it teaches us about God. And as God completes his creation, he is in charge. Uh, he is not exhausted, but at peace. He's not anxious about his rule of the world. So if human beings are made in God's image, then they should reflect this truth about God's identity. In the words of theologian Michael Horton, to be human is to be called by God to direct the whole creation to its appointed goal, which is nothing less than sharing in God's Sabbath consummation. Creation has a goal, even at the beginning, to enter the enjoyment of God's rest, to be in the place where God is. And and that promise of rest continues even after the fall. Because the creator God is at rest, we too are invited to to rest from our rebellion and, and sin and to join him in his eternal Sabbath. Now, this is why the, the Ten Commandments and, and um, the, the Sabbath, uh, it will, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, in the Fourth Commandment that we read, and, and really throughout history, the Sabbath has a special meaning for the weak and for the oppressed. The servants, migrant workers, even animals may not have rights to rest, but God says his people must extend his rest to them. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Keeping Sabbath means workers cannot be exploited, that there's a fundamental equality between all people. All people rest under God's rule. And if we do not rest, if we do not allow others to rest, we will not be fully human. If this is what Sabbath means, let me offer an illustration uh, about the choice that is before us as we think about our own practices of Sabbath keeping. On Fifth Avenue in New York City, there are two popular tourist destinations right across the street from each other. On the one side is Rockefeller Center, And on the other side is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And outside of Rockefeller Center, facing the cathedral on Fifth Avenue, is a statue of the Greek god uh, Atlas holding up the world. Uh, Here's a picture that I took a few years ago of Atlas. And you can see uh, he's got the world on his shoulders. Uh, Here it is a little bit closer. Now, uh, this is often what we're like, isn't it? Now, we can't stop uh, because everything uh, depends on us. Uh, We carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. If we stop even for a moment, everything is going to fall apart. 
Now here's Atlas facing uh, the cathedral across the street. Now, if you cross the street, if you uh, go over into St. Patrick's, uh, behind the altar, you'll find a very different statue. You'll find this little statue of the child Jesus. And in his hand is the world. He's holding the world in his hand. This is what Sabbath means, as we've talked about it here today. It means that we don't have to be like Atlas, but that we can recognize that God is in control. When we believe this is true, then we can stop. We can let go of control. We can rest. It's one thing to say this. It's another thing to actually believe it in the midst of the busyness of life. The pressures of a semester that's just started, whatever looming deadlines are before you, whatever other anxieties are pressing upon you today. But the promise of the gospel is that we can rest because God rests. And and not only this, but we can rest because God in Jesus has redeemed the world. He has died and risen again, and now he rules at God's right hand. When you really believe this, it changes your mindset about your own work. And I've had to learn this lesson multiple times, but I remember one key moment in my own life when I came to believe it in a deeper way. I had only been a pastor for a couple of years, uh, serving a, a small church in upstate New York, but I was so overwhelmed and so driven to do everything right. I actually ended up in the hospital with the gastrointestinal problems, partly because I, I think of the, the, the way that I was internalizing my stress. And I remember laying in the hospital bed and thinking, yes, physically I am not doing great, but emotionally and spiritually I think I'm doing even worse. And I asked myself, now what is really driving me? Why do I overwork like this? And I wrote something down on a piece of paper that I still have because it was such an insight for me. I wrote, deep down, I believe that everything rests on my shoulders. If I fail, the church will fail. And then underneath that sentence, I wrote the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And it just became very clear to me in that moment that the choice that I had uh, before me was, was crystal clear. I could live my life, even as a pastor, believing that I had to be like Atlas, with the world on my shoulders, or I could place my trust in Jesus and his word. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. We all face this choice in different ways. Especially in our world today, it's so easy for us to look to our work to justify our existence. 
Our quest for a career consumes our money and time. It often determines where we live and whom we live with. No sacrifice seems too big. But underneath, we are so driven by fear and, and insecurity. When our work goes well, we're overjoyed. Uh, but it's an anxious, prideful kind of joy because we believe that we've done it ourselves. When things don't go well, we're depressed and we're despondent. This is what makes Sabbath such a radical thing in our world. The Sabbath is an invitation to stop your striving and to live according to a different set of values. In the words of Alan Noble, a Sabbath rest is an act of spiritual defiance against the ideal of existential justification through production and consumption. It is a denial of the founding principle of the American dream that if you want to get ahead and reach the good life, you must always be working or self-improving. Sabbath-keeping exposes our idols. Who or what are we really worshiping when we can't stop to rest? And the invitation of the gospel is to worship Jesus because he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. On the cross, he said, it is finished. If you believe that you're justified by grace and you look to the finished work of Jesus, then you'll have a source for humility, peace, and trust, even when your work is hard or it doesn't lead to the result for which you're hoping. You'll be able to stop knowing that the world will not disintegrate. Listen to how the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines faith. It says, Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. This is good news, friends. You're invited to receive and to rest upon him alone for salvation. Today, right now, no matter how your classes are going, no matter what bumps your career is hitting, no matter the state of your marriage or your finances or, or even your religious efforts or what it took for you to get here today, you can rest. This brings us to our last point. How do we actually put Sabbath into practice? Are we talking about a literal Sabbath day that the Jewish people observe from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday or that Christians have often observed on Sunday? As we think about this, we must avoid two errors, legalism and license. On the one hand, we easily become legalistic about Sabbath keeping when we view it as something we must do in order to be right with God. Sadly, this is how many of us have been introduced to the idea of Sabbath. This turns the gospel on its head. Jesus died for our sins because we failed to keep the law, to, to be the human beings that God created us to be. The only thing that makes us right with God uh, is not our religious practice. It's, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, you've already failed. But Jesus died for your failure, and he gives you his righteousness as a free gift. So there's no place for legalism in the Christian life. But on the other hand, we can also give ourselves too much license to ignore the Sabbath. 
But if we think grace means that it doesn't really matter how we live, that we can ignore God's commandments, we won't be taking seriously what Jesus has done for us. He gave his life to reconcile us to God. How can we not respond with grateful obedience and and seek to become the people he made us to be? As we've seen, if we're not resting, we probably don't believe that Jesus is king. Rather than being legalistic about this or, or disregarding the Sabbath entirely, I suggest that we see Sabbath keeping as a spiritual formation practice, a a practical way for us to enter more deeply into the gospel of grace. When we rest in the finished work of Christ, when we respond in a life of love and gratitude, we pursue Sabbath not as something we have to do, but as something we get to do to grow in our union and communion with God. Does this mean setting aside a 24-hour period of time in which we do not work? Well, in our 24-7 world, I am more and more convinced that we do need to recover that ancient wisdom. There should be freedom and flexibility about it. We may not all observe the same 24 hours. As a pastor, I find it much more restful to take a Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday night. But more important than debates over the time period or the day of the week or what qualifies as work is the way in which Sabbath practices of various kinds call us to deepen our life with God by enjoying the rest with God for which we were made. There's a lot more we can and and we should talk about this subject, but let me end with the words of uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, one one of the doctrinal standards of our church. Part of the catechism gives an explanation of each of the Ten Commandments. And here's what it says about the Fourth Commandment in Q&A number 103. What is God's will for you in the Fourth Commandment? Notice that the answer has two parts. First, that the gospel ministry and, and education for it be maintained. And that especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. That's the invitation to you today to enter into the eternal Sabbath of God today and every day. What's holding you back? Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Our gracious God, as St. Augustine prayed, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. I pray that you would help us even today to find the rest that we seek in you rather than in our studies or in our careers or in our great efforts to please others. Uh, Forgive us for believing that the world uh, would disintegrate if we stopped.
what we're doing, to be with you, to, to attend to our loved ones, to serve others, to rest as human beings made in your image. Renew us and fill us with your spirit so that we may delight in you and in your ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.